glad to have you back as we travel through time looking at the one-hit wonders that shaped history. Today, we're going to pump it up. That's right. Are you ready for this? Because the song is Get Ready For This by 2 Unlimited. It was a hit in 1991, so let's throw on our trainers and bust a move. Mark, I don't know if I was ready for those dance moves. Honestly, I don't think he was ready for those dance moves either. <laughs> Next up on our one-hit wonders from the Bible, Philemon. Did I say that right? Philemon, Philemon? Okay, so he asked, are you ready for this? I don't imagine I'll ever be ready for that. <laughs> From now on, I'm going to have a hard time not thinking of Todd as Crossroads' answer to Biggie Small. <laughs> and in case you didn't recognize his break, uh, break dancers there, the backup break dancers, that was Dustin Krantz, our high school pastor, and Chris Hirsch, our associate worship pastor. Yeah, they could bust a move. But listen, folks, I, I am conscience-bound in worship this morning to warn you about next weekend. Now, I've not seen the finished video, but I've seen Patrick Garcia, our evangelism pastor, in character. And I laughed until I cried. <laughs> Seriously, next week is guaranteed to bring tears to a pair of glass eyes. So. Today we come to another one-hit wonder. This is our second one-chapter Bible book. Uh, we considered Obadiah last week, and this week we jump all the way over to the book of Philemon located in the New Testament before the book of Hebrews, and it is page 845 in your pew Bible there if you want to access it in just a few moments. Philemon was written in 64 A.D. from Rome where Paul was imprisoned, but because of his advanced age and because of his good behavior, the apostle was under house arrest with the equivalent, the first century equivalent of an ankle monitor. That is, he was chained to a Roman soldier. Philemon is the only private letter that the apostle Paul wrote that is included in the New Testament. All the rest of Paul's letters are written to churches, and they were written to be read aloud in public assemblies. Now, Philemon is called a letter, but it's actually more of a postcard because it's just 25 verses long, just 300 words. Honestly, you could read it in less than three minutes. And when you read Philemon, we'll do it together in just a moment, you'll notice that it is very personal. 
No lofty theology is introduced. No great heresy is exposed. No immoral behavior is confronted. No great doctrines are discussed as in Paul's other letters. The only issue mentioned in Philemon that might need a little explanation is the fact that the letter was sent to a man named Philemon who owned slaves. It's kind of a political hot potato. So what's a Christian doing with slaves anyhow? Well, at this time, about one-third of the Roman world was made up of slaves. But slavery in the first century was different than slavery in America. Slavery in ancient Rome was not based on race. The average length of service for a slave in Roman times was seven to twenty years, and slaves were routinely freed by their masters after seven years. Many slaves were able to purchase their freedom. And the average Roman free man lived on about the same level as a slave. In fact, in times of economic difficulty, it was actually an advantage to be a slave. Living conditions were the same for slaves, food and clothing, earnings, legal rights. They were all comparable to free men. Slaves could be doctors, they could be musicians, they could be teachers, they could be artists. Some slaves in the Greco-Roman world were even well-educated, and a few became wealthy. Both Paul and Peter encouraged slaves to obey and respect their masters, even if they were not very kind. Take a look. 1 Peter 2, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. But masters were also taught to care for their slaves. And to treat them like extended family, and if they didn't, they were ultimately accountable to God. Look at Colossians 4.1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. You see, Jesus never tried to overthrow the emperor of Rome and create a democracy. He didn't come to change society by force. He came to change people from within, to make them a new creation. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. And so as more people were saved from their sin, filled with the Holy Spirit, conformed to the character of Christ, society changed. And it's true in every society where the gospel reaches. Even murderers, prostitutes, thieves, they weren't changed by force. They weren't changed by legislated morality. They were changed by the grace of Jesus, by forgiveness and a new start and a renewed life and a new heart. Nowhere does Jesus or any other New Testament writer condemn or condone the institution of slavery as it existed back then. But both masters and slaves were to coexist and to function in a way that honored God and displayed respect for each other. I like the way theologian Donald Guthrie puts it. He says, although the existing order of society, he's talking about in the first century, could not be immediately changed by Christianity without a political revolution, the Christian 
master-slave relationship was so transformed from within that it was bound to lead ultimately to the abolition of the system of slavery. So listen, Christianity sowed the seeds for the destruction, the eradication of slavery, not through violence and insurrection, but through changed hearts. F.F. Bruce observes the letter of Philemon that we're looking at this morning together brings us into an understanding of the master-slave relationship in which the institution of slavery could only wilt and die. So, does the Bible condone slavery? Certainly not. Does the Bible condemn the institution as it existed in that day? No. But Christianity sowed the seeds of slavery's collapse in that society, and it has in every society since. And since there are only 25 verses, I think it would be a good idea for us this morning to read the text. I'd like to read it with you. If you have your device, if you have your own Bible, or if you have the Pew Bible in front of you, I think it's page 845, I want you to follow with me as I read the text of this letter to Philemon. Here we go. I want you to notice the personal nature of it. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Apparently, Timothy was with Paul. To Philemon, our dear brother and fellow worker, and to Apphia, our sister. That was Apparently, Philemon's wife's name was Apphia. And to Archippus, probably Philemon's son, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. So that's kind of the salutation. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you, Philemon, may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. There's a lot in that verse. Do you want to have a full understanding of every good thing that is available to you in Christ? Then you've got to be active in sharing your faith. And I'm telling you, if you are active as a Christian witness, if you are active in sharing your faith, you're going to increase in your understanding of all the good things that you have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Now he gets down to business in verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel." But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do 
will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he, that is Onesimus, was separated from you for a little while was you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So there are three main characters that are mentioned in this letter of Philemon. First of all, there's Philemon. He is the recipient of the letter. And then there is Onesimus, who was Philemon's slave, but he ran away. And then there is Paul the Apostle. Let me talk a little bit about each one of them. What can we learn about them from this letter? First of all, let me talk about Philemon. We learn that Philemon was a well-to-do man. He is a rich man, a man of considerable wealth. He had servants. We also know that he was very generous. The language in verse 7, Philemon verse 7, it's the very same words that Paul used to commend the generous giving of the Corinthians. He uses three words, joy, encouragement, and refreshment. And those are the very same words he uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 to commend their generosity. So he was a rich man. Yes, he was also a very generous man, not a greedy man. He was uh, also a righteous man. Philemon became a follower of Jesus during Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus. And we know that a church met in his home, so he's involved. He's got both feet in the infant church, the early church. Church met in his home, and later he's recognized and respected as a leader in the church in Colossae. He's also a reputable man. He's described by Paul as a dear friend, a fellow worker. He's commended for his strong faith, his love for all God's people. All that was commended. So we know that he was a reputable man, and he was a refreshing man. He lived up to his name. The name Philemon means affectionate one. And so he brought joy and encouragement to other believers. He lived up to his name. Well, now that we've identified Philemon, let's look at a second player. That's Onesimus. What do we know about him? Well, we know he was a slave, one of thousands distributed throughout the Roman world in this era, and his name means useful. But he did not live up to his name. Before his conversion, he's useless. He becomes a Christian, and he lives up to his name, useful. Take a look at it. Formerly, he was useless, Paul says, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. See, you just realize your 
fullest positive potential when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ. He was also a thief. Paul seems to indicate when Onesimus ran away from Philemon before he became a Christian, he probably took some valuables with him. Paul says in verse 18, if he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I will pay it back, Paul said. Well, he was also a fugitive. He stole from his master. That gave him the resources to travel a thousand miles to Rome. We're talking about a long distance in the first century world. Onesimus was trying to get as far away as possible from the household of Philemon. And as a runaway slave, he could have been beaten, he could have been branded, he could have been executed. He was a fugitive, but he was also a saved man. Think about this. What are the chances that Onesimus would come into contact with Paul in Rome? That's a city of a half million people at that time. So Philemon owed his salvation to Paul when Paul was in Ephesus, and later Onesimus became a Christ follower through Paul's influence in Rome a thousand miles away and perhaps a couple of years removed. What are the possibility, what is the possibility of this happening? I'm telling you it's more than coincidence, it's providence. And then you see Paul, what do we know about him? Well, we know he was a prisoner, but you got to love Paul's attitude about being in jail. Look at this. He says, I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But, he said, God's Word is not chained. And then in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, here's what he says. Now, I want you to know, brothers, he writes this from jail. I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel through the whole palace guard. Someone has suggested that Paul was not so much chained to a soldier as a soldier was chained to Paul, and he kept converting his guards. As they were chained to him, he looked at it as an opportunity to invest the truth of God in them. and. One by one, they're coming to Christ. Paul's also a preacher wherever he was, regardless of his audience. He proclaimed the gospel of Christ. He's in Colossae, he's preaching. He's in Rome, he's preaching. He's on Mars Hill in the shadow of the Parthenon, an edifice that is erected to non-existent deities. And he's preaching. He's in Ephesus in an amphitheater. You got 25,000 hostile pagans. It didn't matter. He couldn't wait to get in front of them and present the claims of Christ. He was ready at a moment's notice, determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Paul was also a peacemaker. His intent in this letter is to reconcile, to reunite Philemon and Onesimus, no longer as simply slave and master as much as Christian brothers. Here's what he says in 15 and 16 that you, Philemon, might have him, Onesimus, back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Okay, so what about the so what question here this morning? What does all this mean for us as we seek to honor God in our relationships in 2015? What can we learn? What are our takeaways 
what are the life application lessons for you and me from Philemon? Well, there's just one big one. Here it is. Jesus makes the difference in the interpersonal relationships of all those who are His disciples. As disciples of Jesus Christ, there ought to be a quality about our marriages, about our relationships with our children, children to parents. There ought to be a difference in the way we relate in the workplace, a difference in the way we relate to people on the home front or in our schools. Relationships, are, it's our greatest need from the moment of our birth to the day of our death. You see, if you have a newborn left alone, they simply cannot survive. Babies, if they're not touched, if they don't have a relationship with another human, especially a mother, they will literally die. And on the other end of the life continuum, one of the greatest fears of anyone who is close to death is to die alone. That's why families try to gather around a loved one in their dying hour. But in our journey through life from the cradle to the grave, it's predictable that we will suffer hurt, we will suffer sorrow as a result of broken relationships. And I think there are at least three causes for the inward pain of broken relationships. First is we, we disappoint each other. There are times when we're disappointed. There are times when we disappoint and when that happens. Two people, they stop trusting each other. So a life mate has been unfaithful to you or a son or a daughter or a grandchild has rejected you or a friend has stolen from you or a parent has neglected you or an employer has taken advantage of you. Maybe a pastor has disappointed you or perhaps, perhaps you are the reason for the disappointment. You've disappointed someone else. It's not just that we disappoint each other. Sometimes we disagree with each other. Two people, when that happens, will stop communicating with each other. So, you know, you're a Republican, he's a Democrat. You're a hawk, he's a dove. You like country music, she is sane. <laughs> just kidding. You like the Colts, he likes the Rams. She's a Baptist, you're a Christian. Wait, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> so sometimes people disagree with each other, and when that happens, they'll often stop communicating with each other. Here's the last cause of a broken relationship. Sometimes we desert or we disassociate with each other. And when that happens, people stop seeing each other. Sometimes they'll say, I don't ever want to see you again. I don't care if I ever see you again. That kind of desertion, that kind of disassociation. That's, and this is what has happened here that broke the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. He took off. He went over the hill, ran away, separating from Philemon. And he never looked back. And this is a kind of literal distancing that will permanently fracture any relationship. And all three of these elements were present for Elizabeth Barrett Browning. You remember that name? You recognize that name? She was a poet. 
She was raised by a tyrannical father. And when she married Robert Browning, their wedding was held in a secret place because of her father's disapproval. He vowed he would crash it. They had to be married in secret. You see, he was not going to have his daughter marrying a poet, Robert Browning. After the wedding, the Brownings sailed for Italy, where they lived for the rest of their lives. But even though her parents and brothers disowned her, Elizabeth never gave up on the relationships. Almost weekly, she wrote them letters. Not once did they reply. They had her funeral in their minds. She was dead to them. After 10 years, she received a large box in the mail. Inside, Elizabeth found all of her letters. Not one had even been opened. And it's so stupid, so unnecessary, so tragic. It would be hard enough to live with a parent's disapproval, but to receive that sort of cruel, emotional blow would be extremely disheartening. Okay, so as you look back on your life, even considering your present circumstances, what's the worst that anyone has ever wronged you or hurt you? Now, it would be foolish to ask whether you've ever been hurt because none among us lives in a vacuum. And to be alive and to interact with other people is to subject ourselves to hurting and to being hurt. So can Jesus do anything about broken relationships? Can He heal hurting relationships? Well, the book of Philemon would teach us, yes, He can and He will if we will. We've got to make Jesus Lord of our relationships. Now, in this case, in the book of Philemon, you've got Paul up here, and then over here you've got, uh, let's put Philemon over here, and we'll put Onesimus there. Now, Paul had relationship with Philemon. It was deep. It was not superficial. He also had a relationship with Onesimus. He, he calls Onesimus his son, means his spiritual son. He had, he had fathered him as a, uh, as a mentor, as a discipler. He led him to the Lord, so he calls him his son, figuratively. Well, as a result of Paul's relationship with Philemon and Onesimus, there was a restoration of the relationship between Philemon and the runaway slave Onesimus. So you got Philemon. Philemon suffered the loss of his servant who had run away, and it looks like he's also robbed in the process. So he's really been offended by Onesimus. And he could have been frustrated, he could have been angry, he could have been vindictive. I'm telling you, there was a financial loss involved here, and when some people experience a financial loss, they go absolutely ballistic. Uh, Kayleen and I and our children were quite young at the time, were traveling from Joplin down to Florida to visit my folks over the Christmas break. We had tickets on Northeastern Airlines. 
And as we traveled down there, we had a layover in New Orleans. And when we got to New Orleans, there were all these people backed up that were trying to get out on Northeastern Airlines. And unknown to us, the airlines was in real trouble. And would you believe they went bankrupt right in the middle of our trip? And so here's Kayleen and me and our three little, little ones. Actually, two little ones, and Kayleen was pregnant with Camille. And so we're talking about a heavy-duty financial loss here. You know, I'm thinking $800, and I've still got to get to Tampa and then from Tampa back to Joplin. So that was a heavy hit. Well, we noticed several people who were in the crowd who were pretty frustrated. In fact, they brought in several police officers because they expected a riot. And I especially noticed one guy in a Hart Schaffner and Mark suit. He looked like he just stepped out of a bandbox. He looked like he was just posing for GQ magazine. When they announced over the loudspeaker, Northeastern Airlines has gone bankrupt, your tickets are no good, <laughs> sorry about that. This guy folded up his copy of Wall Street Journal. He threw it on the carpeted floor and he jumped up and down on it and literally pulled his hair Stunning. <laughs> I haven't seen anything like that since kindergarten. <laughs> well, see, Philemon, he could have been that irrational. He could have been that unapproachable. He could have been that angry. And when Paul asked Philemon to forgive Onesimus and receive him back as a dear brother, he says this to Philemon, though, confident of your obedience, I write you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. You see, Paul knew Philemon was a mature, measured, objective uh, man. And I love it that he adds that verse, verse 22, one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I, I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. He said, by the way, Philemon, uh, I, I want to come and visit you again and hang out with you and be connected to you. Blessed be the tie that binds. Paul's old friend, Philemon. Well, then Onesimus, Paul's new son, they met in Rome in what could only be providential circumstances, and I'm sure that they connected the dots. The runaway slave had gone over a 1,000 miles to get away from his past only to run straight into the evangelistic embrace of Philemon's good friend, Paul, in a city of a half million and a strong father-son bond was quickly forged between the old apostle and the young slave. And so Paul connected the dots for Philemon in verses 10 and 12 in the text. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. So what happened? Well, as a result of Paul's relationship with Philemon, Paul's relationship with Onesimus, you got Philemon and Onesimus connecting as new brothers. And even though we don't know the outcome of the story, there's pretty good evidence that Philemon and Onesimus became brothers, they became friends and co-workers. We don't find it in Scripture, but tradition says that Philemon became the pastor of the church at Colossae and Onephesus went on, became a pastor in the church in Ephesus. And once again this week, I want to give you some takeaways from this little book, three of them. Here it is, the first one. Our God is a God of a second chance. 
and he sometimes goes to a lot of trouble. He sometimes moves providentially to draw us back to himself. He did it, he did it for Onesimus. He'll do it for you. Have you been aware of him calling you back to himself, back to a deeper involvement in his church, even if you've been running away for years? Come back. Come back. Connect the dots. If you can see his hand moving in your life to draw you back to himself, don't resist that. Go with that. Cooperate with that. If you've been a useless servant, hey, <laughs> let him make you a useful servant once more, like he did Onesimus. Lesson number two, we give grace because we're debtors to grace. See, we forgive others their sins against us because we've been forgiven by God. Don't you wonder how some of these people can do it in these theater shootings, these church shootings? People instinctively extend forgiveness. And I know some people don't like that. I think it's supernatural when it's sincere. I think it's supernatural. We give grace because we're debtors to grace. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Thirdly, we advocate for others because Jesus advocates for us. See, Paul was a peacemaker in this instance, and he leveraged his relationship with Philemon and Onesimus to get them together. So how can the Lord use you to be that kind of a peacemaker? Maybe between your brothers and sisters. Um, maybe between family members. Maybe between people that you know. You have relationship with two people. They're estranged from each other. How could you be a peacemaker? How could God use you to help people be reconciled to each other? Maybe even a greater question, how could God use you to help people be reconciled to God? I guarantee you, He can use you if you make yourself available to Him. Well, as we close, you know, you've you got to see the easy parallels between Onesimus and, and us. Although we should be punished, held accountable for our sins, Jesus bore our sins in His body on the tree. In effect, Jesus said, He said, to the Heavenly Father, for what Ken has done wrong, for what Ken owes, charge it to me. Jesus paid for your sins and mine on the cross, so now we can be reconciled, restored to our Master and serve Him faithfully. And if you want to talk about trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you want to talk about becoming a part of Crossroads Church family, in just a few minutes, we're going to ask you to remain seated as everyone else is dismissed. You know, we've been talking about relationships this morning, and as we close our time of worship, I want to share with you a text message that I received yesterday. We've been talking about relationships. This is addressed to you. Dear Pastor Eidelman and members of Crossroads Christian Church, on behalf of Glenwood Leadership Academy, I'd like to express my sincerest thanks for the outpouring of support from students for students at our school. I'm absolutely overwhelmed by the generosity of your membership, and I am incredibly grateful for my school's relationship with your church members. I feel continually blessed in my work for many reasons, but I know we could not be as successful without your commitment to our children. 
While some organizations talk about changing this community for the better, Crossroads actually does it. Please know how much your support continually lifts the spirits of our staff and students throughout the year. Blessings on you all. Tamara Skinner, principal of the Glenwood Leadership Academy. And I want to commend you for what can only be called an overwhelming response to our request for you to help us as a church to furnish school supplies for the 400 kids at the Glenwood Leadership Academy. Folks, I'm amazed that on very short notice and without a lot of fanfare, you stepped up to do good deeds that produce goodwill and will give us opportunities to share the good news in our community. And I'm very aware that this is the weekend before school starts in our area. For most of our administrators and teachers, teachers' assistants, students, and I consider our private public schools to be one of the most important mission fields in our generation. So we want to close this service this morning with a special time of prayer for our school administrators, for our school teachers, for our assistant teachers, for those of you who are doing homeschooling. Some of you moms are teaching your children at home. We want to have a special time of prayer for you. So this morning, if you are teaching elementary or middle school or high school kids, if you are involved as an administrator, a teacher, and a, a teacher's assistant, a homeschooler, I want to ask you right now, please, just unselfconsciously, stand for your feet, stand to your feet, and remain standing for just a moment, please. If you're an administrator, a teacher, teacher's assistant, homeschooler, Okay, you remain standing. Now, if you're here this morning and you are an elementary or a middle school or a high school student, would you please stand on your feet? We want to have a special time of prayer for you, and I want all of you who are seated to spot these people, maybe have an encouraging word for them before you leave the worship center this morning. Now I want to ask those of you who've been standing to be seated, and all the rest of you who have been seated, I want to ask you to stand in honor and for us to unite in prayer for these school officials, teachers, teachers' assistants, such an important time coming into this new school year, 2015-16, and we want to call down the presence of God, the power of God on our Christian leaders in the school system and on our, in our Christian students, on our Christian students in our schools in the area. So will you right now bow and pray with me? Father God, this morning we want to pray over every one of these students in this assembly. We pray, Father, that their minds will be taught. We pray that their skills will be sharpened. We pray, Father, that more than their learning mentally and the development of their skills, 
that their character would be shaped and formed through the influence of Christian leaders and teachers in our schools. Lord, we pray that they would be loved in such a way that it will bring out the very best in them. And Father, we pray for our teachers in this assembly this morning. We pray, Lord, that they would be respected, that they would be appreciated by students and by parents. We pray that they would be on the receiving end of notes of encouragement, good words, expressions of support as they work with our kids. And Father, we pray for the administrative leaders, the officials of our schools in this assembly this morning. We pray that they would be honored for their service. Lord, they have a lot of hard decisions to make, sometimes unpopular decisions to make. And in the process of disciplining students, Lord, sometimes students misunderstand, see them as the enemy, feel alienated from them. We pray that this year would be the exception. We pray, Lord, for our administrators, our teachers, our teachers' assistants, our homeschoolers. We pray for our students, and we pray, Lord, that you would protect our schools. Protect them, Father. The schools of southern Indiana in this coming 2015-2016 school year, protect them from the tragic events that we've seen unfold in other places throughout our nation in recent years. We pray, Father, all these things in the name of Jesus so we can have the kind of relationships that honor you and demonstrate that the Christian life is the best life. It is second to none. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for being at Crossroads this weekend. God bless you as you go. We'll see you next week.